Thanks, Will. Thank you, Will. Good morning, folks. My name is Scott. I'm alcoholic. I've got a bad case of it, and I'm really grateful to be here and have the chance to treat it today. I, uh, I, I would like to thank uh, April for doing all the work and Dylan for taking all the credit. <laughs> and, um, and Will for being a good host. This is the first, first time he's ever done this, and I, I appreciate it. I'd also like to thank Lee from driving however far he went. Uh, hadn't been for guys like him, I would not still be here. Um, I, uh, I bought something from him earlier today. I might buy something else. I hope you do. Because if we don't support people like that financially, the, day, the, the sad day will come when they don't record these. And I don't even want to think about that. Uh, whew, good. Maybe we'll get this part instead of this part. I hope so. I, uh, I like to open anything I do with a quote from Lois Wilson, who was asked one time, what she did in the moment of silence. She said, I invite God to the meeting. And just not that I don't believe God's here, I do believe that. But I get a special gift when I stop and honor that presence. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do that. Just in case you're new here, or maybe you're not, and you, you don't have a God, or you got here like I did, afraid there might be one, <laughs> based on what you've been told, you've been trying to hide from them. Um, just in case that's your situation, I'll, be allow, I'll offer you to borrow mine recommend him very highly. He's got a great sense of humor. And uh, you can address him as a God of Scott's limited understanding. Get you off on the right foot. And, uh, and we'll, we'll just uh, do that for just a moment. I'll just meet you back here. Let's invite God to the meeting. Amen. Whew. Wow, thank you. This is not my first day of microphone, but boy, this thing is really touching me. Uh, there's some power in this room, and I'm grateful to be here. I am not an expert. Um, I'm a satisfied customer. I stole that line from Joe Krogan, and if you don't know that name, your education is lacking. Don't go to bed tonight without getting one of his talks. Uh, I was asked to talk about Chapter 5, uh, and I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to dig out some nuggets. I, I To be thorough in Chapter 5, I'd need till dawn, starting now. So I'm just going to pick some pieces out and talk about what they meant to me, what I've learned. I'm going to talk about some of the ones I was confused about. Um, I want to start out by covering the two best-kept secrets in AA. Um, they're both in Chapter 5. One of them is the definition of the program. We hear the term all the time. It is our best-kept secret. We keep see we read it at most of the meetings. It's on page 59 where it says, here are the steps we took to suggest it as a program of recovery. So the steps are clearly not part of the program, according to my sponsor 38 years ago. The steps are the program. No steps, no program. He defined insanity as thinking you're in a 12-step program and not actually taking all 12 steps. If you ain't taking all 12, you're not in a 12-step program, and you're spending Saturday morning with me, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you might want to try to get into one. Um, the, the, the other of our best-kept secrets is, and this one is well-kept, the directions to how to do a four-step have been very cleverly concealed in the pages of this book. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to touch on that just a little bit here in a little while, but... Uh, 
that's that's our best kept secrets. Um, on page sixty, it says um, we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I was I was sitting by a stream a couple of years ago and just looking, just being, and I saw a thunderstorm. And I, I was looking at that thunderstorm and I thought. Every drop of rain in that thunderstorm is following God's will perfectly. I know they are. And there's a tree across the stream. And I thought, so is the tree, and so is the bird in the tree, so are the minnows in the stream. Why can't I? Why can't I? And I got my answer. And the answer is I am. I'm convinced that it's not my job to be perfect. If you think it's your job to be perfect, I wish you the very best. It's going to be a tough road. But if it's not my job to be perfect, what's my job? My job is to make mistakes. Hmm, they've sent the right guy. <laughs> and I've been told all my life, we learn from our mistakes. Uh-uh, not true. Not me. Guys like me learn from living with the results of our mistakes. I don't learn anything making a mistake. I'm like the poodle and peed on the rug. What did he learn? Nothing. When did he learn? When you rubbed his nose. Right. Me and the dog had that in common. We prefer to have our nose rubbed in it. But, but I don't learn from making the mistake. I just don't. A, an enabler, or what I call an untreated alanonic, is, is someone who takes away the results, thereby blocking the learning process. So, so here's the learning process for a guy like me. One, make a mistake. Two, be notified I made the mistake. I don't always know. Three, own the mistake. Yeah, that was me. And if they only know 80%, I have to tell them the other 20. Because if I don't, when they, hurry, when they find the other 20, we're going through this again. Plus, if I'm going to own the mistake, that's how I do it. i got to tell them the whole thing. So three is own the mistake. Four is consult the spiritual advisor about how to five-bake the amend. Usually, not always, there's an amend for me to make. Six, embrace the lesson. The lesson comes with the making of the amend, not the making of the mistake. That's where it comes for me. Seven, share the lesson. Eight, when I share the lesson, because sharing is what really sets it for me. And then eight is when I share the lesson, I have to say I made the mistake, because if I just share the lesson, I'm preaching, nobody wants to hear it. When I stand as a sinner beside the sinner, you can hear me. When you stand as a sinner beside me, I can hear you. Nine, make the next mistake. <laughs> it's my assignment. I'm convinced it's God's will. It's for me to make mistakes. It's why I'm here. Boy, I'm telling you, there's a freedom that came with that. So I have my own permission to make mistakes. That is phenomenal. But it's only half the freedom. The other half is you have my permission to make mistakes. Yeah, because if I'm going to be upset about what you do, I'm a prisoner of your behavior. I don't want to be a prisoner anymore. So you have permission to make, my, make mistakes. Let me define you. Uh, two former wives. Uh, some major politicians, uh, those of you who got your driver's licenses out of Cheerios boxes, um, everybody, you have my permission to make mistakes. And, and those two pieces have freed me to be comfortable in my own skin, and that's why I want to be, just comfortable in my own skin. So it says spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. So I had a definition of progress. Progress is making the same old mistake a little less often. Or making a new and finer quality of mistake. <laughs> Anything beyond that's perfection. That's not the assignment. I'm telling you, that has freed me. My goodness, goodness, goodness. So I have a definition. A mistake is just an invitation to a lesson. The evidence is if I learned the lesson, would not have made the mistake. And I don't have the power to make mistakes so ugly. 
that God can't turn it into something magnificent. Not fix. That's who I am, it's who he is. And I think that's why I'm here, is to make the mistakes so I can embrace the lessons. So, so if I learn by living with the results of my mistakes, if I hold that thought and read the steps, half of them are about me embracing the mistakes, me embracing the lessons. Half of them, four, five, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, are all about me embracing the results of my mistakes. Uh, reading on A, that we were alcoholic, could not manage our own lives. Uh, for those who are new, the manage thing may be a little bit confusing. Uh, we notice you managed your way into AA. Uh, did you manage your way into the back seat, for example, of a police car? <laughs> or a court of law, maybe a holding cell? Did you manage to have a pretty good education presented to you that you didn't get much of? Did you manage your way out of a relationship with somebody who was really a pretty nice person? Did you manage to send your mother to bed every night wondering if tonight was tonight she was going to get the phone call? Well, I have, based on information like that, I have fired myself as general manager of my own life, <laughs> based on my performance. Um, and I did it formally. I, I actually wrote it, uh, and I'll send it to you if you ask me, uh, where I formally fired me as general manager of my own life. And, uh, gee, that was a nice thing. It was. And then B, probably no human power could have alcoholism. Who tried? Cops, courts, judges, uh, the PTA, parents, <laughs> siblings, wife. I forgot where I was. Wives. Um, <laughs> yeah, and none of them are successful. What A and B do is they don't, they don't for me, establish the, the existence of God. They establish the need. Because if A and B are true, <laughs> there better be a loving God. Because if there's not, where is a guy like me going to get any help? Um, I love the portion that uh, that Will read. This is, some, for me, some of the most powerful things in this book lie on those two pages. It says the first requirement. Hmm. If there's a first, there must be more than one. It says that we begin this any life around the self will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. That confused me for a long time. Um, Back in my working days, I was a manufacturer's representative, and I called on a major account. You'd know the name if I said it. And uh, the purchasing agent there that bought my category, we were personal friends. Our wives or friends were guests in each other's homes. My phone rings one day, and he says, my wife just gave birth. And I know this is bad news. We're two months early. And uh, he said, we're at Vanderbilt Hospital, and uh, it's not going well. Would you come pray over this child? And I said, you bet I will. And I hop in my car, and I'm heading to Vanderbilt Hospital. And I'm doing what I've been hearing you tell me, checking my motives, and I can't answer the question. Am I going to the hospital to pair with that child to bring spiritual relief to this family? Or am I going down there to look good to him so he'll put some more money in my pocket? And I cannot answer the question. And I, he knows where I live. He's been a guest in my home in the last 30 days. I'm 12 to 15 minutes from Vanderbilt Hospital, max 15. And I pulled into the parking place, and I can't answer the question. And I went to the source, uh, I believe what you like. And I said, God, I think I need an answer, and I think I need one right now. And I've heard other people fail to describe what I'm about to fail to describe. I did not hear God's voice. But the next thing I got was a thought. It was stronger. It had a ring to it. It was in bold print. I don't know how to tell you. It was different. And the thought was, does going into a hospital to pray of a sick child violate any of your principles? The answer was no. Then go ahead and do it. There are no wrong reasons for doing the right thing. 
That was an important piece for me. There are also no right reasons for doing the wrong thing. And that was where I got it. Um, Cliff Roach, if you've never heard Cliff, do not go to bed tonight without getting, he's got some of Cliff's talks I checked. The Cliffers said, the 12 traditions are a set of principles designed to protect AA from my very best motives. <laughs> and I think that's exactly right. That's what principles do is they protect me from my motives. They protect me because I'm capable of hiding a bad motive under a good one and fooling myself. I've only got two brain cells left. One of them creates BS and the other one buys it. And, <clears throat> and I can't trust me. And, um, and so I, I had to try to begin to get out of it. Step 12 does not say and have good motives in all our affairs. And it's because for me, once I began to get this piece, and I, I'm sorry, this, anyway, they gave me the mic, suffer. So <laughs> what I finally realized is when I operate from motive, I'm governing outcome. Motive says, I know how this should come out. So I'm going to make it come out the way it should, and I can do anything in between. So motive governs outcome irrespective of action. Principle governs action irrespective of outcome. We talk about turn it over. What it is I turn over? I turn over the result. How do I do that? When I stand today where God is, there's one who has all power. That one is God. We find him now. That was in when I find God is where. And there there is. I operate within his principles. I take the actions. And then he handles the result. That was a big one for me. Um, halfway down page 61. Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can rest satisfaction and have out of this world if he only manages well? Let me translate that into Tennessee English for you. <laughs> Getting what I want ain't going to make me happy. It never did. <laughs> and uh, my, uh, my company helped open the first uh, Home Depot. And uh, over the course of the first few years, their management people made a phenomenal amount of money. And uh, one of the ones we dealt with ordered Lamborghini. And they don't say, what color do you want? We'll mail you one. You're going to wait six months for your Lamborghini. And he was insane for six months. You couldn't bring him a price decrease on his best-selling item for hearing about the Lamborghini. And he got it. And two weeks later, he was tired of it. It took two weeks for the shine to wear off of a Lamborghini for this guy. And what I learned from that is there's nothing out there I can achieve, acquire, or attain that will bring me happiness. Happiness is a side effect of being of service to you makes no sense at all. It, by the way, it also works every time. Um, so my sponsor had me on page 62, and he said, how would you like some good news? I said, well, I, I would like some good news. He said, how would you like some excellent news? I said, I like some. He said, how would you like the best news you're ever going to get in your I said, hit me, I'm open. <laughs> he said, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. And I said, was that it? <laughs> he said, that was it. I don't get it, Jerry. He said, if it really is the cops, the courts, the judges, the Russians, the Chinese, your future ex-wife, her mother, and their lawyer, if those people really are the problem, you lose. The good news is that you are the problem. And if you will bring some willingness to this party, we can work on that. I'll tell you, it didn't seem like it at the time. It is one of the two best pieces of news I've ever gotten in my whole life. Because the moment I become the problem, there's hope. There's hope. And uh, I've come to believe that willingness and bottom and surrender all have the same definition. 
And it's when someone who's qualified, a sponsor, for example, asks me to do something I don't like that I don't think will help, that I don't think matters, that I don't want to do, and I do it anyway. It is that do it anyway that defines bottom and surrender and willingness for me. It has to do with action, not to do with words. And it's what I've heard someone call contrary action, things that run against the way I would have done it uh, without supervision. Um, because I'm badly in need of it. And so our troubles we think are basically our own making. They arise out of ourselves. The alcoholics are an extreme example of self-real run right. I didn't think so, did you? <laughs> above everything. I've always wondered if that portion was going to be important. Above everything. Must be really selfishness. <laughs> Give us sort of a mediocre reason. Or it kills us. Uh, <laughs> God makes that possible. I, I had a problem. I was still over five years, and I really had a problem with that. God makes that possible. And this is what I came to believe. When I was put in this skin, I think maybe God said, I'm going to give you this thing called free will. I want you to give it a test drive. Now, I will be intervening in your life, but there's a limit. It'd be like, like God's wearing handcuffs. That there, he can act, make action, but there's a limit, and I can't quantify it. But guys like me don't have 2,500 hours of flying time in the United States Air Force airplanes in command and active alcoholism and stand here to talk about it without some kind of divine intervention. It just doesn't happen. Um, but, that, but there's a limit. But when I get to step three and I look at the truth about what my life has been like when I run it, and I'm able to say to him, you gave me this free will and said test drive it. I've given it a try. I've enjoyed all I can stand <laughs> of my will. And I'd like to trade it in sight unseen on your will. And I'm going to try not to have any questions, and I'm going to try not to have any complaints. I won't be successful in either one of those, but that will be my mission. And that's, for me, really what the crux of step three. And when I make that decision, when I pray that prayer, I release God from the gift he gave me to intervene more in my life. And I see people around here with some time and saying, yeah. Yeah, the, we call it coincidence. We call it all kinds of things. We call it, have you had the experience? I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Who's had the experience? The moment before you asked the question, you did not know the answer. And someone asked you, and you open your mouth, and not BS, but as a piece of the great golden truth that you didn't know falls out. And three hours later, you can't quote it. Sometimes you can't remember what it was. Put them up. Put them up. Put them way up. Look around, kids. Look around at this. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Krogan calls those postcards from God. <laughs> Dear Scott, you must be doing something right or we wouldn't have gotten that one. I love you. I got your back. Love God. <laughs> those are the kinds of things that start to happen once I do this. But I believe God will honor that gift he gave me of free will all the way into my grave. And I bet probably almost everybody in this room has seen that. And that's how I made peace with that. I thought we were insulting God. No. God simply honors the gift that he gave a free will. It was when I gave it back. I haven't surrendered in a long time. This morning I did not surrender. I volunteered. It has a similar result, but it comes from a very different place. They're very different places. I got here, I had one of the big white light experiences, and I got here believing God's will was a good deal. I don't believe that anymore. I think it's the best deal there is. Even the parts I don't like up. Because most of the parts I don't like are actually lessons dressed in their work clothes. That's mostly what those things are. 
Um, and then it tells me a couple of times um, that I can't fix myself. I can't fix me. i got to quit trying to figure it all out. I'd like to read the first paragraph in the chapter of figuring it all out, but we don't have that chapter. <laughs> you were hoping, weren't you, Ralph? And uh, we don't have, so I'm not going to be able to, which tells me, if I'll pay attention, it's not my job to figure it all out. i got to quit that. Hardest assignment I've ever been given is one day at a time. The, uh, the majority of the men I sponsor are sober over 20 years. Number one topic we talk about is sponsorship. Number two is staying in today. It's that hard. It's that hard. Um, I've got a couple things I do to try to help me stay in today. I try to use the word today frequently in all three of my vocabularies. Speaking, praying, and most especially thinking. All the good questions for me contain the word today. And all the good answers contain the word today. And the question is, what am I do about my finances? Wrong question. Good question. What am I do about my finances today? What am I do about my relationship? Uh-uh. We do about it today. Can you feel the difference in those questions? I got to quit trying to figure out the rest of my life. It's just not my assignment. I just need to be here. And when I do that, it all just seems to work out. To just be here one day at a time. And stop looking for answers that don't contain the word today. Um, this is the how and why, but first of all, we had to quit playing God. They gave kind of a mediocre reason. It didn't work. Um, <clears throat> maybe we need more of what isn't working. Could be, do you happen to know the first rule of cavalry? The first rule of cavalry is, when the horse is dead, dismount. You rode in here on a dead horse. <laughs> you might want to think about getting off. So <clears throat> I've had the privilege of sitting at the feet of an awful lot of the masters of this thing. One of them's a guy named, uh, named Bob Olson. He's from Denver. Don't even think about going to bed tonight without getting I had him trapped in a hotel lobby for three hours one morning, firing <laughs> questions and getting answers. And I think he got tired. He said, let me ask you a question. I thought, all right. St. Scott of Nashville is going to have a chance to impress Bob. Well, yes, Bob, what's your question? So <laughs> on page 62, you agreed to quit playing God. I said, yes. He said, how did you play God? I don't know. <laughs> I have added to his list. I can't give credit on which of these are his. Here are some of the ways I played God. I became angry when someone died. And that's me saying I know who should die and how and when. And wow, is that playing God. I became angry. I, uh, I tried to manage my own life and the lives around me. The closer you were to me, the harder I tried to manage your life. I judged people. I must have, because there's only one way to get a resentment, and that's to judge someone, find them guilty, be angry, and then feel that anger again. Is that feeling again of old anger, this resentment by definition. And I had resentment. I must therefore have judged. I've discovered the source of all anger. I tell you where it all comes from. It comes from being sure I'm right. I have never been angry while I'm also absolutely certain I was right. And being right comes from having passed judgment. I have to judge to be right to be angry. So if I don't judge, I don't get right. If I don't get right, I don't get angry. I don't want to be angry. The book says it's deadly for a guy like me. I figured that out about eight and a half years ago. I had it in my morning prayer. It was there this morning. God bless me, please. But I don't judge anyone. That I might see them as you see them 
and love them as you love them, especially the ones that I find unlovable. And bless me, please, that I don't judge any events. That one's been difficult for me. Uh, some of you know I sponsor a fellow named Oleg in Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, he sponsors a fellow named Nikolai, who's probably going to lose an arm. And you know why. And it is so important that I do not judge that war. For all I know, that war is turning more people toward God than every church on the planet. I don't know. And to step out of the judgment business is so freeing because I don't want to be angry. And, and I got such relief from that so quickly. Please bless me. I don't think he wants me judging. And I got a tremendous amount of relief. And I just added that to my morning prayer. Um, so so I, I played, played God. One of the ways I played God was I judged. Uh, another one was that I trusted my motive. We talked about motive here just a couple of minutes ago. And forgive this. This is just my. This is just me. I think good motive may be the most evil thing that's ever been to planet Earth. There was a guy named Hitler in the 1930s and 40s, and had what he thought was a good motive. He was going to purify the race, and he killed millions of people with what he thought was a good motive. There's a guy in Moscow right now who thinks he's got a good motive for moving into Ukraine. I was told that a, a newspaper man asked Capone one time why he was involved in all the illegal activities. He said he was just trying to get people the things they wanted. I have to be aware of my motive. I got to get out of the motive business. Good to have good motives. I'm not against it, but I can't trust them. I have got, always got, to apply principle to it. Principle always trumps motive. One of the biggest problems with good motive is if I think I have good motive and you oppose me, you deserve for me to hate you because you've got a bad motive and I do hate you. And boy, that's bad for everybody. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to quit believing I got good motive because it turns me right back into a judge to anybody who opposes me. Uh, another way I played God is I needed to know why. I have yet to hear a question begin with the word why that was spiritual. Why is a management question? The first step says I ain't in management. Consequently, all the why questions have the same answer. The answer is I don't need to know. And I hated that when I first heard it. And today, I embrace it. It's one of my cornerstones. I thought it was not knowing that made me crazy. Incorrect. It was needing to know that made me crazy. When I laid down the need to know, I got peaceful. From a position of peace, I began to know. Um, I moved out of the home my first wife and I were living in when I was sober about six years. And it was because I realized I was about to hit her. Uh, she used to control me with my guilt, and I was guilty. And uh, I went through the 12 steps and got my innocence back. And she couldn't control me anymore. It made her crazy. And if she was sitting here, she couldn't argue with a bit of this. And, uh, and, and nothing against her. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm done, but I'm not mad. And uh, anyway, she's, she's standing there screaming at me one more time. And I got this flash of clarity. And what it says is, She's five, maybe four, and maybe 100 pounds, and you're six feet and 210. And I'm just before a hit giving her a face fist. And when she goes down, I'm going with her. She's on the way to the hospital. I'm on the way to the jail. This is a bad plan. I worked it out all by myself. And uh, <laughs> it's a good thing there wasn't anybody else there. And uh, <clears throat> I did an about face and got in the car and drove away, started looking for apartments. 48 hours later, I moved. It was imminent. It was going to happen. She wasn't going to quit that, and she was going to push that button hard enough one day, and I was going to go off on her. And uh, I moved into a little apartment, and uh, I didn't know what to do. I went to old-timers. I said, what should I do? They said, turn it over. I said, how? 
Nobody could tell me. Believe what you like. I believe what I'm about to tell you. I went to the source, and this is what I got. What is it I turn over? And the answer is the result. How do I do that? I stay in today where God is, and I operate within his principles. Stop looking for answers that don't contain the word today. The other piece I got was three prayers. And this is what really brought me the peace. Prayer number one, God, if it's your will for us to be together, put us together. Two, if it's your will for us to be apart, put us apart. Those are the easy ones. Here's the hard one. God, if it's your will for me not to know today, please leave me not knowing. When I can pray that one, I can have that sponsor's definition of serenity. He said, serenity is not freedom from the storm. Serenity is peace in the middle of the storm. The only way to have that is to give up my need to manage the storm. The only way to do that is to know the manager of all storms. Isn't that what this thing is about that we do here? And I was able to pray that prayer every day and mean it for 10 months and had, have peace in the middle of the storm. And then one morning I knew. Um, so I have to get out of the why business. Besides that, when I ask why, I am never looking for an answer. When I ask why, I'm looking for something I can argue with, manipulate, change, debate, fight. Never looking for an answer with why. Never. There may be a, a spiritual question as to why. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. Just for me. Um, <laughs> I was certain that everything I knew for sure was correct. Anyone who disagreed with me was clearly a fool. Boy, is that playing God. And does it, by the way, block any chance at all I have of learning anything? Uh, another one is that I told lies. I have never lied without a good motive. Have you? <laughs> I didn't think so. We're back to that motive thing. Because when I lie, I've governed outcome, irrespective of action. Anyway, that's just some of the ways that I, that I played God. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where to go here. I don't have a whole lot of time left and waste so much to do. Um, the book gives you the option to write your own third-step prayer. And I think that's a magnificent thing. Um, one of the songwriters I used to have, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and at Central Office they have a bylaw. You cannot get a five-year chip at AA if you're not sponsoring at least three songwriters. <laughs> Somebody has to take them. And, uh, but I had this particular one. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to write my own third-step prayer. I said, great. Okay, great. Listen, I won't be surprised if we hear this one on the radio. There was three, ver three stanzas in rhyme. It was magnificent. It left out the part about God being in charge, which I thought was kind of important. And um, so I'm willing for him to write his own prayer if he wants to, uh, but I'm going to have a look at it before we use it. And... Um, the book is not specific about when to do a fourth step. And the, the first thing I would like to say about step four, and I'm so passionate about step four because that's where my life changed. The fourth step was what literally changed my life. And it was the way it was presented to me by, a, by the first sponsor. But the first thing I would say was it was so important to have permission to do a lousy fourth step. You have my permission to do a poor fourth step, an awful fourth step. Because if you have to do it perfectly, you can't pick up the pen. Yeah. So give yourself permission. We are not saving, saving a special alcove at the AA Hall of Fame for your four-step. <laughs> we also do not give a trophy every year for the best four-step. This is the trophy you are not going to get. 
If you can't read it, it says four-step trophy never awarded. This is the trophy you ain't going to get. You can have your picture made with this later if you'd like. I'm quite serious about that. Anyway, so give yourself permission to do a lousy one. Um, I think there are an awful lot of great ways to do what's in this big book. And I'm not here selling this one. This is just what I do. Whatever you and your sponsor are doing is just perfect. I just love it. But um, I, I think God wrote a lot of this literature, most especially this piece right here, because this is what changed my life. Um, it says, next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. The first step was personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Boy, I never had. <laughs> I always thought happiness was knowing who to blame. And... <laughs> Our decision, that's that third step decision, was a vital and crucial step. Have little permanent effect unless at once. That's pretty soon, at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of. Be rid of, isn't that interesting, be rid of. Twice on this page, they're going to talk about being rid of the things in myself that are blocking me. I'd like to make an observation. At step four, if all I do is write, I'll be rid of ink, paper, and time. And none of those is blocking me. It is the first indication to me that there are things other than writing involved in step four. And uh, I'm going to touch on, on some of them. Give me what I... Nah, I've got way too much. I can't possibly say it all. Please help me calm down. Oh. <clears throat> a business that takes no regulatory usually goes broke. The businesses that I dealt with did a computer update every night. But once a year, sometimes more often, at least once a year, they did a full teardown inventory. That's the reference. In 39 years, I've done, I believe, 28 four steps. I've been through the, through the work about 28 times. It doesn't take very long right now. Initially, it took quite a while, but it didn't take very long. And there's nothing, if you're new, nothing to be afraid of in step four. Like, you were there. Like, we ain't going <laughs> to find something you don't know. You can quit worrying about that. You know, the three steps that scared me the worst, four, five, and nine, were the ones I got the most good from. I was just wrong about a lot of things. I was just wrong about a lot of things. And, uh, boy, we don't have time till dawn to cover all of that either. Anyway, uh, to discover the truth about the stock and trade, one object disclosed damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of. There it is again. Get rid of. It says, first we search out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. There's the good news again. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Boy, that's the best news. Being convinced itself manifests in various ways of what defeated us, we consider it as common manifestations. Uh, I'm going to give you an overview of how I see step four today. And I hope I'm still learning. It looks to me like it's a series of lists. A list is a series of words and phrases that run down the page. It's a series of lists, observations, or considerations, I use those words interchangeably, and prayers that cover three specific aspects of self, which are resentment, fear, and sexual misconduct. To me, that's an overview of step four. That's all it is. Uh, Sometimes people ask me, what do you think about an autobiography? I think it's a great idea. I hope you do one. Hope you do a four-step too, I, because that will change. Because that will change your life. I don't think the, the autobiography is going to do much. And uh, in the uh, in the resentment inventory, it's 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 pretty simple. It says uh, 
We listed people in the institution of Princeton whom we were angry. So now we list of everybody and everything has ever made you angry ever. Yes, I know it's a long list. The, uh, the shortest list I ever saw that was complete was about 40. It was a kid in his teens. He wasn't that angry. The longest list I've ever seen was 1,200. I've seen that twice. Yeah. Guy hated everybody and wished there was more of them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it. And uh, so just column one is who are they. Column two is what they do. I lived them to 19 words because Mr. Brown, his attention to my wife, told my wife, my mistress, I'm going to get my job at the office. That's 19 words. That's all you get. Contractions count as two words. I'm, I'm just hardcore on that because we're not going to. Because you want to, you want to start. That was a rainy Wednesday afternoon. No, <laughs> no, because you want to feed this resentment. Because what you've been doing, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to excise it. We're going to cut that baby out. So we don't need much there. And then column three is going to be: Did it affect our self-esteem, security, ambition, personal sex relations? One or one or more. And then since we went back through our lives, so it indicates a reverse chronology. Begin with today. I'm here. This is who I live with. This is where I work. These are the guys I play tennis with. These are the people in my home group. But before that, I was living with, what was her name? And, and, go, back, and go back through your life searching for anything and anyone that's ever made you angry. And the rulers, when in doubt, write it out. If you're not sure, put it down. It isn't going to hurt anything. And when you get to your earliest memory, column one is, you're done. Is it, finished? Is it complete? Absolutely not. It's complete enough. If you've never done one of these, don't think of this as your fourth step. Think of this as your first one. Because if you're here and you're new and you're serious about this and you'll get into this work in less than a year, you'll be taking your first newcomer through this work and you can go with them. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll get what you, you'll find what you need to. And, and as you're into the work, you, you'll, you'll come across some more. You can just add them. You're going to be walking through the grocery store. You're going to look at the honeydews and think, his head looked just exact. Just write it down. We'll add it. <laughs> We'll add it to the list. Don't worry about it. Um, and then it gets into these observations, which for me, so much of the power came from this. Playing in life includes deep resentment, leads only to futility and unhappiness. Have you ever known anybody that was happy, joyous, free, and full of deep resentment? I don't think I've ever seen that combination. So I can observe what they observed. Um, there's a, and, and then they kill me seven times on this page with my resentment. I'm, I'm skipping a lot of stuff here. It says, if we were to live. So this portion is only for the ones that want to live. Uh, <laughs> everyone else can take a short break. Um, <laughs> if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm are not for us. It was one, there were many sentences here I was confused about. This is one of the two I was totally, just had no idea what it meant. I did some digging. This is what I found. In the 1940s, an ad executive on Madison Avenue named Osborne wrote a book about how to do an ad campaign. And what they would do is they would put a product, for example, out on a table, they'd sit the team around. And Ralph would say, well, maybe this. And Carl said, well, how about that? And of course, April would come up with what we actually did. Osborne labeled his process brainstorming. Most of you have heard of it. It's how Walt Disney wrote uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons. Has absolutely nothing and is no way related to the word brainstorm on this page. In a 1930s dictionary I look up, I, I find brainstorm. It says transient, violent, mental outburst. That's rage. So, and I had no idea. 
I mean, I thought I wasn't supposed to be doing brainstorming stuff at work. Huh. No, they're not related. Absolutely not related. The other one, just for fun, that I was so confused about was on page three. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a, and I would have said row. Uh, we got a friend in Scotland, some of you know, Mick, and he uses the term all the time, and it's row. It rhymes with now, and it's a quarrel or a fight, and it's not a row. It's a row. Makes a whole lot more sense if you put that. Anyway, they're just for under the what, for whatever it's worth category. Um, <clears throat> back on page 66, uh, prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Different from what? Well, if you'll imagine a court of law, or remember one if you prefer, <laughs> we are, uh, we're sitting at the prosecution table. We have got column one, the accused. Column two, the crime. Column three, how the crime affected our poor innocent victim. If I'm going to look at it from an entirely different angle, I've got to walk across the courtroom, sit at the defense table and say, wait a minute. If I'd had his life, if my wife had, if my, if my principal had, if my mother had, if my father had, if, 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 could I, on my worst spiritual hair day, have done what they did? Can I speak for you? I will tell you about me. When I'm running wide open in my disease, there is no bottom as to what I'm capable of. There is not a bottom. It is the beginning of the forgiveness process, which for me is, was the most important thing I think I ever did, was to look at maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm capable of that too. Um, and it says, we saw these elements must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them any more than alcohol. All right, this is the gospel according to St. Scott. Uh, so forgive me for it, but there are two, two kinds of verbs in the English language. There are transitive and passive. A transitive verb is something I do, like I got handrail off my glasses. It's transitive. If I go outside and it's raining, I get wet. So transitive I do, passive happens to me. If I look up the verb to forgive in the in a English language dictionary, it says it's transitive. It's not. Forgiveness to me is a state of spirit, and I can't change my spirit. I can change my actions today, but I can't change my spirit. I used to say, well, I forget, but I'll never forget. <laughs> That's not forgive. That's not forgive. And uh, so it says, we ask God to help us show them the St. Thomas pin patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. I'm praying for myself there. God help me. I hear people calling that the sick man prayer. I call it the angry man prayer because I'm the one we're praying for me. God help me show him the same tolerance, pain, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Um, on page 164 in the text, it says, Our book is meant to be suggested, but only we realize we know only a little God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. For the longest time, I had a problem with what I'm about to present to you. Because most of my mentors got sober on the second edition, and the story of freedom from bondage was not in it. And yet I believe more was... was, was I, my favorite misquote is more will be revealed. It ain't in here. But it's a, it's a misquote against what I just said. Anyway, on page 551, the lady says, One morning, however, I had realized I had to get rid of it. The it's the resentment against her mother. For my reprieve, that's a stay of execution or delay of punishment. 
was running out. If I didn't get rid of it, I was going to get drunk. I didn't want to get drunk anymore. My prayers that morning, I asked God to point out to me some way to be afraid of this resentment. During the day, a friend of mine brought to me some magazines to take to a hospital group I was interested in. I looked through them, a banner across one featured an article by a prominent clergyman in which I caught the word resentment. I'd like to look at the sequence of events. One, she sees something about herself that needs work. I didn't say something wrong with her. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of us. We're God's kids. We got some things that could use some work. She sees something about her that needs some work. She prays about it. She gets involved trying to do something for somebody else, and her answer falls out of the sky on her. It is a predictable sequence of events. I, I've, I've been reading this book a lot for many years, and I can take you to five or six pages that talk about having fun in recovery. I take you to five or six that say some of what you know for sure ain't right. The number one theme that runs wider and deeper and thicker in this book than any other is help others. I read the book one time from Roman numeral 11 through 164, looking specifically for places where it said I needed to help others to be of service, which is the same thing. I counted 52 places I found more since then. That theme, that no matter what's going on with me, the answer is for me to help others. It makes no sense whatsoever. It, by the way, also works every time. Um, yeah, I'm not going to read it to you. The next paragraph on 552 says for me to pray for the other person. And, and if I look at it, what I'm doing is I'm taking love, two loving actions into an unloving situation. The unloving situation is whatever happened left me with a resentment. The first loving actions I'm praying for myself, God help me show him tolerance, pity, and patience. And I'm going to pray for that other person, all kinds of great stuff. And I ask a simple question, do you mean it, yes or no? Not are you trying to mean it? Not do you, are you sure you need to mean it? Does your sponsor want you to mean it? Do you really mean it, yes or no? If the answer is no, move on. If the answer is yes, put a check mark. When you get to the end, start over. Do it till they're all checked. The first guy I worked with that had 1,200 resentments lived in Australia. I punched it as a little bit long distance. And uh, I ran into him. I was down there last summer. And uh, I ran into him. And uh, they're all still checked. He prayed that list two and a half times before he checked the first one. And today they're all gone. To me, it's the single most important thing we do, not just in recovery, but in our lives. I'm going to talk about why. Uh, what my sponsor said, he said, what you really want is mercy for yourself and justice for everybody else. <laughs> he had me. And he said, the package is mercy for everybody or justice for everybody. And you are part of everybody and you get to choose. And I can't face justice. Um, he said, resentment, this old anger is like ice around your heart. And what we're going to do with these prayers, we're going to hold the icy heart up to the sunlight of the spirit. Now, the ice has a thickness based on the severity of the events, how long ago they happened, how much you've nurtured the resentment. And the sunlight has a power based on how close you can hold it and how long. And sunlight always wins. It always wins. We're not asking you to approve of what they did. Acceptance does not include approval. Acceptance is a state of spirit. I get a limited amount of spiritual energy on any given day. If I squander on things of which I have no power, I won't have enough left for my own assignments today. So I need to get out of that business. Acceptance is what that's about. We've closed some meetings here with a particular prayer. And one of the phrases is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. I think what that says is, God, if I don't forgive them, don't you forgive me. I'm, being asked, I'm, I'm asking to be graded by my own standards. I have consequently relaxed my standards. <laughs> it's a pretty good move. 
I'm, I'm 80 years old. I should not be trapped in this body a lot longer. And I cannot stand, I cannot afford on that day for my soul to stand naked before my Creator, guilty of hating one of His other children. I simply can't pay that price. I just can't. And that's what this piece is about. Uh, a couple of quick pieces about the others. Fear. Um, Roman numeral 16, forward to the second edition if you brought your book to class. Bill is leaving the Oxford groups. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity. I've always wondered if that was important. The necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. What strikes me is Bill separates belief in God from dependence upon God. They're not the same. I got here, like most people, pretty much believing there was a God and not having a higher power. For me, it is as I begin to learn that healthy dependence that I have a higher power. Up until then, I don't. Um, lady in my home group told the story of she was uh, at a bank getting ready to cash a check, and all of a sudden there's a hairy arm around her throat and a pistol in her ear. She's a hostage in a bank robbery. And she, she, she talked about it. And she said as she stood there, she was physically uncomfortable and not free to go about her business. But she was really okay. Her fear was that he would shoot her or that he would kidnap her. And that's when I got it. My fears are always in the future, always. The problem with the future is God isn't there. And when my mind goes to the future, I go to a place where God isn't. That's a bad neighborhood. I do not need to be there. I need to stay where my feet are. My feet have never been in the future. So I need to stay here where they are. Uh, that, that's awfully quick on that, but I wanted to get to this last piece. Now about sex. We, I'm going, uh, I almost hit, yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to hit the high spots. Um, we, all, we all have sex problems. Hardly be, it says we do not be the, want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. Don Pritz, if you don't know that name, your, your education is so lacking. Please do yourself a massive favor. I asked him about this one. He said, if anybody I'm working with is doing something in any category, it looks to me like he's taking them toward a drink instead of a way i got to say something. But as far as this being an arbiter thing, when I get a new guy to sponsor, if he's married, we talk about it. It's pretty clear. If he's single, I say to him, I'm going to ask you to leave the ladies alone for a while. Uh, sick as you are, your chances of attracting a healthy female are somewhere right around zero. <laughs> now, you may currently have one fooled, but when her denial breaks, she's going to hit the... <laughs> My friend Tim in Nashville says, his sponsor told him, he says, don't go looking for what you want when you're a newcomer. You ain't going to find what you want. You're going to find what you are, and you don't want what you are. <laughs> and back to Don... What he said was, so I tell my newcomer, I want a, a girlfriend takes a lot of time and energy. I want your time and energy on this step work. One of the side effects is we'll get you healthy. We get you healthy, you'll have the opportunity to attract a healthy female. Now, you can ignore my advice in this category. I will not drop you from sponsorship if you do. But do not bring me the problems that you create for yourself in this arena. I've already told you what I think you need to do. So I don't have to listen to it. One of my two favorite sponsor calls I ever got, I'm talking to this young kid, I said, look, hey, whoa, stop. I don't want to hear any more about her. You're obsessing about her. He said, I'm not obsessing about her. I just think about her all the time. <laughs> Put 
appreciate him clearing that up for me. I, I was obviously confused. Um, anyway, to continue down this little, little path, um, what can we do about them? Um, we've ruined our own conduct over the years past where it being selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, whom would we hurt? Unjustifiably aroused jealousy, suspicion, bitterness, where we had fault, what should we have done instead? Got all down paper and looked at it. To me, in the resentment inventory, it's very clear about how to put it. This is pretty fluid. Don did his in sentence form. He showed me one of his four steps. And he covered these categories in sentence for me right through four lines about each one. I'm kind of fond of a column inventory. I think it's easier. And since they don't tell me how, I take a little poetic license and start with whom it we hurt for a first column. The rest of it lines up pretty easily. Um, and then it goes on. It goes and it says, in this way we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. So that each rest of this test was it selfishness. We ask God, wait a minute. We're going to talk to God about sex? Who did you think invented it? Um, we ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. And I ask him to do that. Let's talk to God about sex. And, and let's ask him, and, and by the way, let me be clear for you, sir, because I was not clear years ago to someone and uh, about your ideal. It does not have anything to do, sir, with how tall she is, the color of her hair, or the size of her underwear. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about your category given your situation today. For example, we don't need to know what it would be if you're currently single, but what it would be if you were married but temporarily separated but not legally separated, but you thought she had a boyfriend, we're not sure. We don't need that today, Stanley. You're working a little bit too hard. Very simply, what do you think God would have you do slash not do in this category given your situation today? Write it down and read it to me. I'm not making this up. A sponsee of mine called... And he said, I've got a sponsee, and this is his sexual ideal. He's going to continue to sleep with the two married women in his neighborhood and hope his wife doesn't find out. I'm not making this up. That's not where we wound up, but that's where we started. We can be so far out of bounds on this one. And it's back to that thing on 61. Victim of delusion, I can rest satisfaction, I have in this out of this world, if only I manage well. That there's something out there I can achieve, acquire, attain that's going to do that. And there just isn't. Uh, I realize I'm skipping a lot. I'm just about out of time here. Um, this paragraph at the top of page 70, my sponsor summed it up. He said, if you look up under enough s- skirts, you'll find a slip. It, yeah, if you keep doing things in this category that, that harm other people. And then it, then it says, if this is a pro- continues to be a problem, throw yourself the harder into helping others. There's that same prescription one more time. Um, A girl in my home group that's sober just over a year said this at the back room a couple of Sundays ago. She said what the process of the 12 steps does is it disconnects me emotionally from all the errors in the past, mine and yours. I think it's one of the reasons that step nine is so critically important is because as I can't afford for my soul to stay naked before my creator guilty of hating as one of those other children, I also cannot afford to stand there guilty of having done something that left somebody else with a justified resentment that blocked them from God. I'm going to have to be able to point at a place in this thing we call my life, or at least try to fix that. 
is a place where I've left an unloving mark. I need to be able to go back and try to erase it with love, or at the very worst, overlay it with love, because I think that's what this whole thing is about. It's what the whole thing is about. Serving the God of love is not a part-time job. Um, I love you with all my heart. Thank you. If you will, if you'll be so kind, uh, they've given me permission to do something. I started doing. Have a seat, please. Uh, a few years ago, I was in one of the gated communities. That's a jail, and uh, and we and we opened up the serenity prayer and sound like an invitation to a fight. God grant me a strength. I thought I can't listen to them do that to the Lord's prayer. So I asked them to whisper it slowly. Now I know there are Yankees in here, Ralph, and I can't pray as fast as the Yankees do. So I'm going to ask you, if you will please, stay seated. Don't take anybody's hand. And we're going to slowly, I say again, slowly whisper the Lord's Prayer. I would note that amen's the last word. Let's have a moment of silence after amen. We invited God here. Open your heart up and see if you can feel the presence. I'll let you know when that second moment of silence is over. Lord's Prayer. the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever.